Section 58 of Norway, Sweden, Denmark, Iceland, Greenland, and the Search for the Poles. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Colleen McMahon. The World's Story, Volume 8, Norway, Sweden, Denmark, Iceland, Greenland, and the Search for the Poles. Edited by Eva March Tappan. Section 58. The Madman of the North Overcomes Copenhagen, 1700, by Francois-Marie Arouet Voltaire. Peter the Great was determined to have a seaport on the east side of the Baltic. The territory belonged to Sweden, but the ruler of the Swedes was a youth of 18, and Peter thought that there would be no great difficulty in overpowering him. The elector of Saxony and the king of Denmark became Peter's allies. Much to the surprise of everyone, Charles Twelfth, the young king of Sweden, suddenly showed himself to be a commander of rare abilities. His first campaign was aimed at Copenhagen. The Editor He, Charles Twelfth, started for his first campaign on the 8th of May, New Style, in the year 1700. He left Stockholm never to return. An immense crowd of people went with him as far as Karlskrun, praying for him and weeping and praising him. Before he left Stockholm, he established a council of defense composed of senators. This commission was to have charge of all that concerned the fleet, the troops, and fortifications. The Senate was to provisionally regulate all other internal affairs. Having thus arranged all securely within his dominions, he concentrated entirely on the war. His fleet consisted of 43 vessels. That in which he embarked, called the King Charles, was the largest they had ever seen, and carried 120 guns. Count Piper, his prime minister, and General Renshield embarked with him. He joined the squadron of the Allies. The Danish fleet refused an engagement and gave the United Fleets the opportunity of coming so near Copenhagen that they could throw some bombs into the town. There is no doubt that it was the king himself who then proposed to General Renshield that they should disembark and besiege Copenhagen by land while it was invested by sea. Renshield was astonished at a proposal which displayed in a young and inexperienced prince as much skill as courage. Soon all was ready for the disembarkment. Orders were given for the embarkation of 3,000 men who were stationed on the coast of Sweden and who were added to the men they had on board. The king left his large ship and embarked on a lighter frigate. Then they sent 300 grenadiers in small vessels along the coast. Among these vessels were small flat-bottomed boats which carried the faggots, chevaux de frise, and the weapons of the pioneers. Five hundred picked men followed in other shallops. Then came the king's men-of-war with two English and two Dutch frigates, whose cannon were to cover the landing of the troops. Copenhagen, the capital of Denmark, is situated in the island of Zealand, in the midst of a beautiful plain which has the Sound on the northwest and the Baltic on the east, where the King of Sweden then had his position. At the unexpected movement of the vessels which threatened invasion, the inhabitants, dismayed by the inactivity of their own fleet and by the motion of the Swedish ships, looked round in terror to see on what point the storm would burst. Charles's fleet stopped before Humblebeck, seven miles from Copenhagen. The Danes immediately drew up their cavalry on this spot. The infantry were placed behind deep entrenchments, and all the artillery forthcoming was directed against the Swedes. The king then left his frigate to embark on the first boat at the head of his guards. The ambassador of France was constantly at his elbow. Sir, said the king to him in Latin, for he never would speak French, 
you have no quarrel with the danes and must now oblige me by retiring sir answered the count de guiscard in french the king my master has commanded me to attend your majesty and i flatter myself that you will not banish me from your court which has never been so brilliant as to-day with these words he gave his hand to the king who leapt into the boat followed by count piper and the ambassador they advanced supported by the broadsides of the vessels which were covering the descent the small boats were within a hundred yards of the shore when charles impatient of the delay in landing threw himself from the boat into the sea sword in hand and with the water up to his waist and in spite of a shower of musket shot discharged by the danes his ministers the ambassador of france and officers and soldiers followed his example the king who had never before heard a discharge of loaded muskets asked major stuart who stood next to him what that whistling was in his ears it is the sound of the muskets they are firing at you said the major ah remarked the king that shall henceforth be my band at that very moment the major who had explained the noise to him was shot in the shoulder and a lieutenant fell dead at the other side of the king troops attacked in entrenchments are generally beaten because the attacking party has an impetus which defenders cannot have besides waiting for the enemy in one's lines is often a confession of inferiority after a faint resistance the danish horse and foot fled as soon as the king had seized their entrenchments he fell on his knees to thank god for the first success of his arms he immediately had redoubts formed in the direction of the town and himself marked out the line of the encampment at the same time he sent his fleet back to scania a part of sweden not far from copenhagen to get reinforcements of nine thousand men everything conspired to second charles's energetic efforts the nine thousand men were on the shore ready to embark and the very next day a favorable wind brought them to him all this happened within sight of the danish fleet which had not dared to advance copenhagen in consternation sent deputies to the king to ask him not to bombard the town he received them on horseback at the head of his regiment of guards and the deputies fell on their knees before him he demanded of the town four hundred thousand dollars with all sorts of provisions for the camp for which he gave his word of honor to pay they brought him the provisions because they dared not refuse but did not expect that the conquerors would condescend to pay for them and those who brought them were astonished to find that they were paid generously by the humblest soldier in the army the swedish troops had long been accustomed to the strict discipline which contributed not a little to their victories but the young king increased its severity a soldier would not have dared to refuse payment for what he bought much less maraud or even go out of the camp he even easily brought his troops to keep his rule that after a victory the dead should not be stripped without his permission prayers were said in camp twice a day at seven in the morning and five in the afternoon and he never failed to be present at them himself and give his soldiers an example of piety as well as of valor his camp which was far better governed than copenhagen had everything in abundance and the country folk preferred to sell their goods to their enemies the swedes than to their own countrymen who did not pay so good a price for them so it happened that the townsmen were often obliged to fetch goods which were unattainable in their own markets from the king of sweden's camp the king of denmark was then in holstein whither he seems to have marched only to raise the siege of toning he saw the baltic covered with his enemy's ships and a young conqueror already master of zealand and ready to take possession of the capital he published a declaration that whoever took up arms against the swedes should gain his liberty this declaration had great influence in a country which had once enjoyed freedom but where all the peasants and many even of the townsmen were then serfs 
Charles sent word to the King of Denmark that he must make up his mind either to do justice to the Duke of Holstein or have his kingdom laid waste with fire and sword. The Danes were indeed fortunate in dealing with a conqueror who prided himself on his justice. A congress was summoned to meet in the town of Tevendal on the frontiers of Holstein. The Swedish king would not allow diplomacy on the part of the ministers to lengthen the proceedings. He wanted the treaty settled with the same rapidity with which he had invaded Zealand. As a matter of fact, it was concluded on the 5th of August, to the advantage of the Duke of Holstein, who was indemnified for all the expenses of the war and freed from oppression. The King of Sweden would make no claims on his own behalf, being satisfied with having helped his ally and humbled his enemy. Thus Charles Twelfth, at 18 years old, began and ended this war in less than six weeks. End of section 58. This recording is in the public domain.